0: last Sunday Pastor Ryan challenged us with a message and uh, I was really blessed in uh, hearing him talking about defragging the gospel removing uh, double empty spaces in our heart that will impede and uh, slowing down the work of the spirit of god in our lives so today following that message and following how the lord is leading him and myself in this case to, to share God's word. I want to speak about gospel conversion. What it means with that? When we think about gospel conversion, we think about conversion. So when one person makes a U turn of 180 degrees, So you are going this direction and you convert in another direction. And this is what happened when we believe in Jesus Christ. The gospel is so powerful to change and transform and convert people from their ways. Now, let me ask you, how many of you are familiar with PDF files on a computer? Can you raise your hand? Praise the Lord. When you receive a a PDF file, to work on it, unless you have a very good program, Uh, that eventually allows you to edit the PDF, you have to convert the file in another format. And you know, sometimes the PDF, that means portable document format, was created by this software company, Adobe, in the 90s, 1990s, for allowing a file to be able to, uh, to see the file in the Different operative systems that you have. at the time, there were uh, Apple system and the Windows system, and independently which operative system you had, you were able to read the file. Now, this is a wonderful picture of what the gospel is doing in our lives. We edited, let's say, in a Word file, but to make available to everybody, independently on the way that they think we have to transform the personal experience in something that is accessible to everyone. So God comes in our lives, is converting us, is changing us. And from that experience of a transformation and change that happens in our lives, we bring the gospel to somebody else in a way that they can read it, that they can make their own And I pray that the Spirit of God this morning will allow us to reflect on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we are able to change and transform the life, not because us, but because the one that lives in us, because the one that is the essence of the good news, the gospel. The gospel means good news. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you have the most explosive, changing message that there is on the face of the earth at this moment. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power that has to do to change the hearts of people. And I want to show uh, how we can sometimes misunderstand the gospel in an experience that was unique, extraordinary the Transfiguration of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you turn your page of the Bible or your digital uh, device on Matthew, we will see in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, from verse 1 to 9, this wonderful story in the Bible. This event is uh, uh, recorded by all the three evangelists, Mark, Luke, and Matthew. And though Mark is in chapter 9, verse 2 to 12, Luke in chapter 9, from verse 28 to 36, we will be focusing more on the gospel of Matthew this morning. So we will read it from verse 1. And may the Lord continue to bless His word to our hearts. Matthew chapter 17, from verse 1 to 9. And after six days, allow me to make a, a, a clarification here. Luke says, after eight days. Uh, doesn't mean that there is a contradiction here. Luke is counting the day of the teaching, the last teaching of Jesus, and the day that the things truly happen. So if you add six plus two, we have eight. It's a different way to record the same event. And most of the time you find this little difference in the Gospels. But after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here, if you wish. I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. It was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lift up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Praise God for His word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we go ahead, I want to just uh, give you some uh, background of this text. As we see, Jesus is calling these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of, among the disciples, to be with them in this experience. But why Jesus is bringing them? This is not the theme of, of, of the sermon in itself. But what happened before... Was that Jesus questioned the disciples and the people about who he was, according to them? First, he challenged and is teaching the people, Who do you think I am? And then he challenged his people, his own disciples, saying, Who do you think I am? And he tried to change the direction of their line of thoughts because they may believe that he was a, a prophet like the level of Moses and Elijah until Peter understands and makes the beautiful profession of faith that Jesus was the son of God. And to continue on that level of deeper faith, Jesus is bringing them to reveal something special and unique to them. His glory and the mission that he came to accomplish. But before all this process was closed, we have this episode in which the disciples need to deal with a unique circumstance in their lives. So, this brings something very important to me, my attention to yours. The gospel implies relevance in the lives of those who own the gospel. Now, let me ask you, what makes our lives relevant in our days? In the first place, what we can say to define church being relevant in this society in today's uh, world? Why is relevance high valued by a lot of pastors in the church? Why we hear often we need to be relevant? Why we need to be uh, so focused on the relevance of the gospel in our days? You know these are important questions that we need to answer and every different approach that we have to answer these questions can bring some effects in the way that we live our lives on a daily basis. You know, if I look at the Merriam-Webster dictionary, describes the relevant as having significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand or having social relevance. The most important issues related to relevance, then, is answer this question. Mother at hand, having relevance on a social level. Now, there are two unique ways to be relevant for us as a believers and as a church. We can become relevant embracing the answers of the present culture, of the mundane culture, Or if you prefer, like Peter Berger, a very common sociologist defines secularism. And embracing the demands of the culture and try to bring and imitate the way that the culture lives to apply the gospel in our lives. So we will give answers according to the culture and not according to the gospel. Another way is to bring relevance Adopting a model that never changes and is contained in the Word of God and itself brings us as a church and as individuals to be countercultural, imposing a model that is different from the way that the world thinks. And let me be clear on that. Some churches adopt the first way. In a way, they use the language, imagery, music. Many things that the culture presently is adopting to answer the main questions of life. And they attempted to engage seekers with an experience that has to do with entertainment and something that may give success to their lives. You need to be rich, we have the answer. You need to be healthy, we have the answer. And the gospel becomes just like a power machine where you put coins And you determine what you can get from it. So it is the consumer approach that we have in our Christian life. And you determine the church that you attend on how that church is able to provide to your needs. Not based on which truth is preached from the pulpit or is taught in the church. But basically on what that church can satisfy you. Now, let me tell you something. We can become relevant making a case for the superiority of Christianity. This means to take a counter-culture position. And to be consistent with the effort to guide the culture to something better. My brothers and sisters, as I mentioned before, We have the most powerful message to give to a dying society, to a dying culture. It's not by chance that in Quebec we have the highest level of suicidal rate among teenagers. Teenagers already have been removed the chance to have hope in something that is able to quench the needs of their souls. It is not about building material possessions. It's not about building uh, a career that will satisfy your soul. You can be satisfied only by the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. People have questions. Why am I here on this earth? What's the point of all of this life? Why am I so messed up? How can I fix this problem that I have? Don't you hear these questions maybe coming to yourself or seeing around you? Which kind of answer we are giving to those fundamental questions will determine the way that we will become relevant to them. Don't get me wrong. I want to be irrelevant. But I want to be relevant according to the world. I want to be relevant according to the word. You understand what I'm trying to say? The gospel bring the good news. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. When you speak about the good news of Jesus Christ, when you live the life of the gospel, you are bringing a powerful message to this dying society. But by the power of the gospel, you get hope. You get hope. You know that there is a Savior that took you blame. You know that there is a Savior that shed his blood for you and I, so sins can be removed from our soul. Stain of guilt can be removed. And we have freedom. And today we are celebrating communion. And now we are reminded of that sacrifice. So we can definitely use language. Of the culture. imagery of music. That maybe are familiar with the culture. But our message. Neither can be compromised. Nor changed. That was important. So the form can change. But never change. The foundation. The structure. Of the message that we have. So praise the name of the Lord for this. You see gospel conversion. Reveals Jesus glory. Have you Ever. Climbed to the top of a mountain. Have you been having that experience? When we go back home, and when I say home as my own country, and I know I'm from Italy, but I love to say I'm Sicilian. With my kids or my family can climb some mountains. And I'm not talking about going to the Alps or the Rocky Mountains. I'm not able to to do that kind of job. But we take our hikes. To admire the nature and to experience such a beautiful fellowship while we are climbing. You see, when you are on top of the mountain, you're able to see a different sight of what is around you. And I love that because the scenery becomes all of a sudden so beautiful, so great. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John to climb the mountain. And to go with them, they didn't have any clue what they were going to do, but they followed Jesus. And the fact that the transfiguration occurred in a mountain was a very significant point for the Jewish people. Because in the mountain, many times God met people to reveal something special. The mountain is so significant. Even because it was this belief that so the more higher you were physically, more close you were with God. Now the scholars are debating if this mountain where Jesus went with uh, the three disciples was uh, either Mount Hermon or uh, Mount Tabor. Most probably, the majority is uh, thinking that this was Mount Tabor. Tabor Mountain is not really a big mountain. However, it was there that Jesus met his own disciples, and you know why—to change also the way that they were doing things. God has His own ways to work in our lives, and unnecessary what the way that He worked once will be necessary repeated again. Remember when Elijah was uh, on the cave. He saw different things, some manifestations of the God's presence before he truly met God's voice. He saw the earthquake. He saw the smoke coming in. But the voice of God was uh, shown to him in a way that never heard, was heard before. Now the disciples need to understand that a meeting with Jesus will change definitively the way that they were thinking. The glory of Jesus was revealed fully and if i look at the passage uh, in chapter 2 in chapter 17 verse 2 and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light you see here the theologian karl barth in church Dogmatic says that this is the only episode recorded in the gospel where jesus is not performing a miracle for somebody but it's the object of something miraculous. Technically, no one was transfigured by Jesus. But he is the one that was transfigured. It means that the presence of God was in him. It came from inside out. And you see, it was a, a metamorphosis that happened in that moment. From the inside, it came out. With the glory that he had before coming on uh, human semblance, and it's interesting here when you think uh, at a a caterpillar, uh, you know a caterpillar builds a cocoon, and then from the cocoon inside the cocoon comes out a butterfly. It's the process from the inside out that will determine the beauty of Jesus. That is completely different from what an hypocrite does. It's from the outside to the inside. Jesus is telling us, first, you need to be transformed inside before you appear outside. And many times, our Christian lives is the opposite. We think to clothe ourselves with uh, the righteousness of being religious people. And we forget that before, we need to change the inside. And God is interested more to change the inside than the outside. And this is the first experience that we learn. Then the disciples saw a vision of Jesus with Moses and Elijah on their side. Why? Because Moses was representing the law and Elijah was representing the prophets. Both the law and the prophets were pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And Moses and Elijah being there were... Testifying that the law and the prophets were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the true Messiah. And this was an experience that was really, really interesting. According to Michael G. Wilkins in the ESV English Standard Version of Bible's notes, he says the appearance of Moses and Elijah represents the law and the prophets which witness to Jesus as the Messiah, The one who fulfills the Old Testament and begin a New Testament. So this was an historical moment. The vision was the prophetic image of something new that was coming out. The end of an era to the beginning of another one. And all this was marked by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that today we are celebrating with communion the disciples missed that point and how many times my brothers and sisters we are missing the point of what God is revealing to us because we are anchored to the old experience that we had I just want to show you something Peter answered let's build three tents one for you one for Elijah and one for Moses he put the three at the same level but jesus was above them it was the fulfillment of both of them but peter in his mind had an old way to see things and i'm saying this not because the gospel changes but because the gospel is revealed to us in creative ways in different ways in that experience of the gospel conversions deals With our selfish nature. Something amazing was in the scene. Peter saw the glory of God being revealed in Jesus. And when you see those encounters, you don't want to miss that beautiful atmosphere. He says very clear in verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. It is good. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It was not a mountaintop experience. You don't want to move from there. Have you been a mountaintop experience in your life? Have you experienced that? When you feel so tied to God that you want to live in that condition forever. You want to be close to Jesus. You are on the mountaintop. Why have to live that? And Peter was wondering, why this beautiful experience need to be finished? Why we need to end that? You see, Jesus knew instead that this was just momentary. The work was not ended yet. He knew that was going down to the valley because the Calvary was waiting for him. And he came for accomplished the work of the Father and the work of the Father was that he was dying on Calvary for your and my salvation. So Jesus say we need to go down. We need to go down. How many times we want to stay there and I'm not saying that our, those moments are not necessary. I wish all of us can experience on a daily basis mountaintop encounter with God. But what I'm trying to say, that those moments that we have so close to God cannot trap our Christian life. What we experience in the mountain need to be lived on the valley. As a, an illustration, I give you what an old says, uh, saying says, a ship is safe in the arbor. But that's not what ships are for. They are made to navigate in the ocean. So many times we are so focused on being church people, having mount top experience, that we forget the mission why we are here is to make disciples, to teach the gospel, to preach, to proclaim it to others, and make disciples for God's kingdom and God's glory. And many times we are concerned about staying in building tents that we forget that at, in the valley there are people who need a ministry. There are people that are crying to receive healing in their souls, in their bodies. They are crying to be delivered from addiction. Peter tried to catch the moment. Oh, Jesus said, you cannot trap this, Peter. And uh, in that moment, a cloud, the Shekinah glory came. And those people were not able to see nothing else than the glory of God. And the voice of God the Father spoke so clearly. They understood that something extraordinary was happening. They heard the voice of God. They heard God manifested in their presence. Look at verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they cannot do nothing else than fall in their face, terrified by the experience that we're living in. Gospel conversion redirects our mission. Redirects the way that we may think in the things of God. Do you understand? God spoke with authority. This is my son. Listen to him. There is no other choice. The word listen in the Greek is iupakou. It gives the idea to listen carefully. To apply what we are being heard. It means to put the max, maximum effort to apply what you are hearing. There is no other choice. This is my way. You need to adapt it to my way. And I'm reminded of what Isaiah said. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Many times we want to oblige God to do what we want, but instead it's God that needs to redirect our direction, our mission, so we can fulfill what He is pleased in. And I pray this morning that we will be able to consider it, to listen the voice of God. And God speaks to us today through Jesus. I will read the passage after during the communion. God spoke in the past through the prophets, but today He speaks to us through His Son. And while we are remembering with the elements of the bread and the wine, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are also proclaiming that He's coming to give and make justice of all those who follow Him. My brothers and sisters, we have so many voices around us. So many voices are trying to take our attention. So many voices are crying out for attention. But not every voice, however, is helpful or worth to be listened to. You need to synchronize your heart into one voice. And it's the voice of Jesus. Jesus say, my sheep know my voice. They hear and they Listen, they obey, they put in practice what they hear. And I want to ask you, put all your effort or your diligence in practicing what you hear from the Lord. You know, messages can come to you every Sunday in small groups, in Sunday school, in your personal devotion. And God is speaking to you, is trying to get your attention. Do not ignore the voice of the Lord is speaking to your heart. Apply your diligence. You see the story of the transfiguration says, there is only one voice that we need to listen to. And what if in the midst of your circumstances, of your troubles, of your joys even, when things seem to go very well, you focus more on one voice, the voice of Jesus Christ. What If we keep our ears open to hear what God is saying to us. To let His concerns and desires become our desires, our concerns. What if we open our hearts and to say, Lord, I heard your voice and I want to obey you. Because if I obey you, I know that you will bless me and you will bless my family. When Moses... Met with God. God put him in the cleft of a rock. We have a beautiful song. hymn, that we sing. To hide. His presence from Moses. Because if Moses was seeing God's presence. He would die. And now the disciples are realizing. We are in the presence of God. We are seeing God in our midst. There is no more hope for us. We will die. You see. Mountaintops experience also cause fear in our hearts. How many times we are overwhelmed by the presence of God that we think that we have no hope? Because when we are in the presence of God, our selfish nature is exposed and we are forced to reconsider, to change. You cannot be the same. And you know, in those moments where there's fear in our hearts, I love what Jesus did. He touched them. I loved that. In verse 6. When the disciples heard this. They fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Saying rise. Rise. Fairview. Rise. Don't be afraid. Before it was mentioned. The Kairos cross. You know that. Course starts with. Genesis 12, where Abraham was called. I will make you a blessing to bless others. And I believe, my brothers and sisters, as a church, as we approach this new season, we have a plan to bless the nations. We have a plan that is not just taking care of the tents and the mountaintop, but is to reach out to the needs that we have around us. And when I say around us, I'm not saying somebody outside your world. But what about your own family? What about your own co-workers? What about your friends at school? That's your world. That's your mission field. Don't be afraid. God is giving us a new way. God is giving us room to do His work. Here in the Lardes or in the surrounding area, and through the world, because his faithfulness is with us. Those mountain tops are not there to scare us, to separate us from God, but it's to encourage us. Jesus never wastes a chance to encourage his own disciples. And you know, his words are not magic eliminating our fears. I must confess. I have fears, but I also have the assurance that God is with me. And especially, you know, I've been in contact with a few people through this coronavirus over the world. And I receive messages or texts and everything. And you know, sometimes we go in a panic mood. And we forget that we have God with us. is no kind of surprise about this. God knew. And is in control. I'm not saying that we have to minimize the effects of, uh, of what is going on. Please. I don't want to be misunderstood. But think one moment. Is not God saying that in the last days. This kind of manifestation will increase. Earthquake. Pestilence. So, though I have fear, I'm confident in God that is on the throne. <laughs> Hallelujah. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our circumstances, I want you to know that Jesus is there to touch your life, to touch you and say, Rise, Mario, rise, John, rise, rise, Josephine, rise. Fear not, I'm with you. And the same assurance Jesus gave to them before ascending to the Father. Most probably was this mountain table. He gave the commission to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. And then he say, Lord, I am with you. I am with you. Until the end of this world, of this age. Fear not. Fear not, my brother and sister. Because God is with us. And he said. Allow my Holy Spirit to lead you. And as we do so. We receive assurance. And peace in our hearts. Let me wrap up this. uh, Sermon with. uh, Some final application. You see Jesus is using. Extraordinary events. To deepen. Our relationship with him. This process leads to a renewed purpose of sharing our faith with others. Often those extraordinary moments in our lives are simple when we are reading the Bible. When we are getting on our knees and we encounter God in such a deep way. But Let's be careful to not spend our time in building tents. Matthew 17, 9 says... And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. It's strange. (laughs) Okay, God, you prepare us and then you say not to talk with others. You know why? Because there was not a moment yet. God gives us extraordinary moments so that we, we will be prepared. For the ordinary moments in life. Jesus said. Until the son of man. Is raised from the dead. You know those moments. Are your assurance. That God is with you. And no matter what you are going through. Difficulties. Or even most joyful moments. Be reassured. That God is still your companion. And you know cherish. Cherish. Those moments that you have with God. Recall it often in your lives. And experience the effect as you share them with others. And then my last application. We can respond to God's presence without fear. We can. I don't know what change you are dealing with. Or what circumstances you are dealing with. Maybe it is in your marriage. Or with your children. With your work. With your health. With your age also. I don't know what fear you have. Maybe it is in the presence of God. When it comes to you. Like the disciples. Fear of the Holy Spirit. Working your life. And sharing. His blessing to you. I urge you. Please. Listen His voice. Listen to Him. Be raised up. Do not be afraid. What if those words or those experiences or those moments are a tool that God is using to shape you and make you a wonderful vessel that ye can use for His glory? You see, transfiguration was transformation. I love it to close with this verse that Paul writes to the Corinthians. 318, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Are you willing to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ? We are celebrating the communion now. And when I want to call the brothers to come forward. I pray that as we approach the communion table. We will ask the Lord to truly work in our lives.